Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say, one thing, but then the next day. It's different, they change, but they don't know what they want. All they do is change, pictures bragging about he's on the beach you know while we're up here (laughs) up in pittsburgh even though guess what today it was almost 70 degrees so we can't complain too much bringing in for the first time from the post gazette jason mackey at j mackey pg jason how you doing brother i'm doing well i should have posted thank you for having me craig it's a pleasure to be here for the first time uh i should have posted a picture from the day before where I went to Pirate City and I had the most god-awful view because they said they were going to open at the fans, didn't open at the fans, and I was, I know you've been there before, but anybody who has it, like, you know, not necessarily the quad around the tower, like the gravel walkway going toward it, and they're on the opposite field. So, anyway, the view today from the beach was glorious, but the view two days ago from Pirate City where I couldn't see crap was less glorious um looking looking forward to getting back there on wednesday for the first day of pitchers and catchers and uh seeing some real ball yeah and i i think i posted uh the other day i you know everybody posts the stuff after the super bowl and says you know baseball is here and i said baseball is not here until some of our beat reporters start posting pictures of players working out like that's when oh i can't wait i can't i can't wait to post the most good because they don't they don't let us anywhere near the bullpens and so you can look for a picture of me or something that I'll tweet tomorrow from like 75 yards away through three fences and something you cannot possibly decipher what's going on and them throwing bullpens. It's going to be great. You're like, I think that's Mitch Keller. Maybe it's Mike Burrows. I'm not really sure who it is. But, Jason, you've been writing a ton, a ton. I mean, normally you write a ton, but over these last, you know, four, five, six days, a week, getting us ready for this. And, and I wanted to go to those. I wanted to go to the – it was the Pirates Primer Series, and and something I pulled out of those was position battles. <clears throat> and the first one that came to me was, and it's something that we've all talked about, and everybody is, that was a Pirates fan during those early 2010s, is so excited that Kutch is back. But the one thing you said is something we've kind of all been saying is that, you know, they make that acquisition of Connor Joe. And then by getting Kutch in there, it kind of starts to crowd that that infield a little bit. And even somewhat to a degree, the DH of, you know, Choi, Santana, and now you've got Kutch in there. 
so what's your like view on like what's going on there in the outfield at PNC Park this year? Yeah, it's and believe me, I would not undo the Kutch signing for anything. I think it's a tremendous move. You never turn down that opportunity. I love every bit of it, but it's not a great fit. It it really isn't, and I mean. It's a great fit because he's Kutch, and I think he can still play, and it, it's worth its weight in gold. But it really convolutes some things, in my opinion. I mean, you look at Kutch being in there, so, okay, Reynolds is going to play every day. Um, Sawinski's going to play every other day, uh, maybe every day if he earns himself that role, which I think he certainly can. I think Connor Joe is going to need at bats, and obviously Kutch is going to play. Those are your four outfield spots. You've probably got one starter and a, a, a three-man rotation for two spots with Kutch going at the H. Um, we'll see what happens with Choi and Santana. I think you want to keep both of those bats in the lineup. But what that does basically is knocks uh, you know G1 Bay down a little bit. His only available position is second base. Um, I, that probably puts Tucapito Marcano in AAA which then further clouds their infield mix because you want to be getting meaningful reps for guys like Nick Gonzalez or Leover Piguero and uh, try to develop them a little bit more. Uh, there's only so much stuff you can do with Marcano. And, and frankly, Craig, I was watching G1 Bay hit the other day. My goodness, does he look good. I mean, this kid can really be a fun player, somebody that helps them, speed for days. Um, I just don't know where he's going to play. And, and I haven't brought up Rodolfo Castro yet. I don't know what you can necessarily do with him. Um, he theoretically could earn the starting second base job. And in all of this, you also need a backup shortstop. Literally, O'Neill Cruz is not going to play 162. You have to have somebody to play over there. Bay's probably a more natural fit. Marcano hasn't played a ton over there, but probably could give them a split. Um, but anyway, that's sort of the trickle down that you get when you bring in McCutcheon. And it crowds the outfield, it crowds the infield. Again, wouldn't trade any of the problems for anything, but some, some other stuff they have to consider. Yeah, and the other part is, I mean, you put uh, Miguel Anjuar uh, down in AAA, and you also have there, I mean, there's that outfield depth again. Like And, and like I said, I don't want to pretend like depth is, is a bad thing, but there's a lot of decisions to be made. I mean, if you go down to AAA, you have, you know, Kanan Smith and Jigba. You have... Travis Swaggerty, who we haven't gotten to see that much. Um, you have Ryan Velade, Valade. I haven't learned how to pronounce Allegedly. it yet because I, I honestly thought he would be gone at this point in time. And it was no offense to him, but just I saw him, you know, kind of being like that. I think it was like Troy Stokes Jr. who ended up playing a little bit, but, you know, you kind of picked him up. But as, you know, stuff cycled through that, you know, he may end up getting pushed down you know, to that triple A spot, you still have, you know, a Cal Mitchell in there. There's a lot of depth that this all kind of trickles down to. There really is. And I, I don't know how you sort that stuff out. Um, I mean, you could have two different outfields in triple A Indy and still not have enough spots for everybody covered. Like you're not giving guys enough of a look. Um, you're going to have to then drop them down to Altoona. And at that point, I don't know what you're going to do with them. Um, you know, or guy like is Caden Smith and Jigba going to get anything out of playing a double A? Probably not. You know, is Travis Swaggerty? Probably not. Um, you're not doing the best thing for them at this point. Um, you know, it, it's a weird position to be in um, where they have too many outfielders for not enough spots, but not enough of these guys are good enough to play in the major leagues. 
Um, I mean, they could even try trading some of these guys. I don't think they're going to get much for them. You know, it's not like you can take Travis Swaggerty and flip him and get some premium return. Like, you know, he's flirting with being DFA'd. If they would DFA him tomorrow, I don't think people would bat an eyelash. You know, you wish they were maybe like, I don't know, pitching prospects or I'm trying to think of what how they could address another need, maybe a catcher, although that's getting kind of crowded behind, you know, Andy and Henry anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just an odd, odd place. I mean, I, I know this, Craig, when I think about this and how this is going to play out, if guys hit, they'll find a place for them. And that goes for Miguel and Duhar, that goes for Smith and Jigbo, that goes for Sawinski, Joe, McCutcheon, anybody, you know. The offensive offensively productive guys, they'll stick around. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Smith and Jigba again, and, and a lot of people uh, noticed he was kind of at all of the stuff that was going on for the season yeah. ticket holders in place of, not in place of Pirates Fest, but maybe, I don't know, it was in conjunction with what have, what have been Pirates Fest. We usually see the, you know, the season ticket holders and then the next day Pirates Fest opens, but Smith and Jigba's there, and he's talking and everything's going on, and my thought was, is this you know, the push for a player or is this, Hey, he came in to work out to see what the injury was like in Pittsburgh. And now he's here and it's nothing against him because he didn't really get a shot and he didn't really play bad in triple a. So, I mean, what are you thinking about that, Jason? I don't think they would do it. And I've thought about this too. It's an interesting point. Um, I thought about it in, heck was it December when they brought guys in like they had Brubaker in town Burroughs Colin Holderman uh, Chase DeYoung yeah Colin Holderman uh, you know you wouldn't jerk guys around with events like this if you weren't going to make good use of them. and that doesn't mean that Smith and Jigba is going to start with the major league club I think the chances of that happen are like slim and none but I don't think it's a guy who's on the verge of getting DFA either like I and you know why you know why? It's the same reason why they traded for Connor Joe. They they very clearly have a type. Um, they have a couple types, but I mean, guys that can play multiple positions and then guys that maybe sacrifice power a little bit but get on base and see a lot of pitches. And Smith and Jigba does that. Um, you know, like a Cal Mitchell, he's not their type. He's not going to fit their profile. Mason Martin, not their type. Not going to fit their profile. But I can see why they want to ride it out with Caden Smith and Jim, but I think they think something's there. Even Travis Swaggerty, probably not their type, to name another you know, player in this conversation that we're, we're having. But I like Smith and Jim, but I like, you know, he's a good kid. He's a confident kid. Like He's got this it's not cockiness, just a, a, a likable swagger to him. Um, I don't think he's overmatched at all at this level. Um, and I do think there's more there. So I, I see what they're doing. But it's still, man, even if you would, like, you know, cross the names off the list that I mentioned, you still got, like, seven more. I don't, I don't know how you're going to get get through all of these things and, and dole out playing time appropriately. Yeah, and it's it's definitely – it's tough in there. And then when you were talking, it was it was something. It was actually number two I had written down from your Pirates, uh, Pirates Primer series was Rodolfo Castro at second base. And it was something that I had brought up uh, – would have been two weeks ago when I – spoke with uh, Rob Beer Temple from The Athletic, and you spelled it out perfectly, is that Rodolfo Castro against righties has a 642 OPS, a 29.5 K rate. Against breaking stuff, he has a 179 average, 
and a 49.2 whiff rate. And that was something I pointed out at the first parts is that coming up, I mean, some guys, you know, people want to jump to platoon people because they struggle, you know, when they first come up to the majors, but that's not their profile in the, in the minors. I mean, that's kind of been Castro's profile. When he was in the minors, he was about 250 points below in OPS when he was batting right-handed, you know, to left-handed. And he was, like, creeping towards 300 in the majors. So people are kind of crowning Castro as, like, the full-time second baseman. I mean, is that the case? I'd be stunned if if he was uh, based on that profile. If that holds where he only really hits from one side of the plate and – I mean, I say only hits from one side of the plate. I guess if he, you know, that's one better than some players on this team have had success at. Um, But, you know, like his defense wasn't great. If he struggles against breaking stuff again, um, you know, I I think that's probably grounds for a platoon situation because you need to get time for other guys. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I really don't. I mean, I think I look at their bullpen situation and, like how I would I would sketch out their roster at this point, and I'm not sure I see a scenario where I would keep G1 Bay and Tucapita Marcano. Like I just think there's probably other guys that would warrant playing time, and you know somebody would just be sitting there. Uh, probably if you're going to juggle Castro and Bay, that's okay. Uh, and, and the whomever's not playing is your bench guy. I don't I don't know. I go back and forth. I guess you could carry the extra infielder. I just worry about the pitching, and I probably want an extra pitcher anyway. Um, you know, if, if that's the profile that we're getting with Castro, I think you're probably going to be willing to give out playing time to other guys. Now, if he's going to solve one or two of those things or hit for a bunch of power, I think they'd be willing to commit the playing time to him. But he's got to get better in some areas. And he's just been too darn inconsistent for me in, you know, what we've seen out of him so far. He can be absolutely terrific. And then it just shuts off for three weeks. Yeah, and I, I always think, like, he's still a young guy, and, you know, maybe he can work his way into that. Maybe, you know, the the layoff in 2020, even though he was the alternate site, may have hurt him a little bit. I, there's a lot of stuff I'm thinking of. But when we're thinking about young guys, we're definitely not thinking about our catching situation right now. Because Austin Hedges is not a young man. Ploiecki, who we just signed is not a young man, but we have a couple of young men that are ready to come up there. So, I mean, Hedges is the number one, and we all kind of are maybe like just accepting that, and that's fine. But then you have Heinemann, you have DeLay, now you have Ploiecki, and you have Endy sitting right there. Are we like kind of jumping the gun with Endy a little bit and just yes. can we kind of wait for that? <laughs> My opinion, Yes. I think people are a little bit too eager to put that on a young man at this point. Um, I think the world of Endy, I think the world of Henry Davis. I think I mean, the way I ultimately see this shaking out is probably more Henry is the catcher and they bounce Endy around the field a little bit. You know, if you seven games in a week, six games, like I think Henry's going to catch probably four or five and Endy's going to catch one or two. I'm okay with that. And Endy can bounce out to the outfield, play some second base, whatever. Um, but to do that right now, I'm not in a hurry. I'm really not. Like, it's not super too motivated. Uh, it's nothing other than I think catching at the major league level is really hard. Um, 
And these guys, I mean, Henry Davis has zero games of experience at AAA. It's okay to let him catch at that level and get used to handling pitchers. Though. I don't have a problem with that. Um, Andy has seen, what, 12 games there, something like that. I'm sure I'm off a little bit, but, I mean, it's not much. Uh, let him catch there. Let him get comfortable. I want a catcher, when they come up to the major leagues, to be in total command of what they're doing. And that means physically, that means mentally, that means preparation. I don't want Andy's offense being sacrificed because his head is swimming defensively. Like, I don't know if people are thinking about that. Like, when you're a major league catcher and the number of places that you were dragged to go to this meeting and go to this meeting and remember this information and be given this piece of paper, oh, we have pregame defensive work. Go down here. We're doing block, you know, blocking balls, infield at this time, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I've, I've watched Jacob Stallings do it. I watched Roberto Perez or Tyler Heineman remember do it. It's a big ask. There's a reason why these guys don't hit that much and nobody really cares. Uh, I'm just not tasking those guys with that at this point. Like, get comfortable in AAA, hit, and when that happens, there should theoretically be a place for you with the Major League Club. If you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the Y that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand. Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at www.shopyins, the emphasis on the two Z's, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. The back of the rotation right now, I mean, everybody, when we signed Vince Velasquez, you thought that might have been the only signing. And it wasn't. I mean, Rich Hill came in, but now we still have Velasquez, who was a starter at the beginning of the season for the White Sox, who were a World Series, you know, thought contender at that point in time. What are you thinking about? And I wrote this down as Velasquez versus Ortiz and Oviedo. Like, how does this rotation shake out and a lot of people are throwing out the six-man rotation what are your thoughts on all this sorry (laughs) no i mean i don't see how ortiz starts at the big club i I just don't i mean if you if you go numbers wise like you're not gonna i mean obviously mitch is gonna start right rowanzi's gonna start uh you know, you're going to, Rich Hill's on the team's going to start. Vince Velasquez on a team going to start. You're not going to bump JT Brubick. Where's five right now? Uh, you know, I talked to Oscar over the off season not too long ago. One of my 
big questions for him is like, what's up with Johan Oviedo? Is he still a starter? Because I, I could see him kind of being a bullpen guy, tweener guy, piggyback, whatever. He said, oh, no, 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 he's still a starter. Okay, well, if Oviedo's a starter, what does he really have to gain in AAA? He came up here, made, what, seven starts, ended up pitching really well toward the end of the year. I don't understand why he wouldn't be back with the big club. So that's six. You know, at that point, you've got to bump somebody, and I don't know who the heck they'd bump. Um, I don't think that even makes sense for them to bump anybody. So I think the way I see this going, honestly, is that. It's probably rolling with six. You keep Ortiz down. Um, you commit a certain amount of starts to Hill or Velasquez. If there's poor performance, you could shift one of them to the bullpen. Um, if there's not, the biggest crime you've committed is having Luis Ortiz tear up AAA. And you probably monitor his innings and don't throw a ton on there. And I don't think that's the worst thing. I'm not in a hurry. Just like I'm okay waiting on Andy and Henry, I'm okay waiting for Burroughs and Priester. They haven't had a ton of experience or hardly any experience at that level. Um, and then as guys sort of exit, maybe a trade Rich Hill or maybe somebody gets hurt, then you can bring people up. But if, if the scenario is that they have – you know, too many quality arms for not enough spots. I I would be thrilled to have that problem. Yeah, and that's where like I, I kind of you know when when we came out of the pandemic, you know, all of the minor league teams when they finally came out of it were using six man rotations. Yep. And they've kind of gone away from that. I mean, I except for Bradenton last year, uh, they were. You know, the only ones that kind of stuck with that just because they had so many guys down there. But even looking like we talk about when you bump it down to AAA, I mean, you have, like you already noticed, if, if you put Ortiz down there and then you have Priester, then you have Carmen Majinski, then you have Kyle Nicholas, what's going on with Cody Bolton? I mean, there are so many guys that are starting to just kind of bump their way up towards the major leagues and we keep on saying this isn't a problem. And I believe me, I would rather have more than less, but at some point in time, I mean, some of this has to break out. And I mean, I just like read some stuff and saw some stuff on JT Brubaker, a guy that I, I mean, I like JT, but like, is there going to be a move? Is there going to be somebody that's moved to the bullpen beforehand? I mean, I know they have a big stretch in April, but towards the beginning of the season, a lot of times, like, it ends up being, like, almost like a, a four-slash-five-man rotation. I know. A lot of off days. Yeah, the way the schedule falls. I mean, it would be tough to get six early on, no doubt. Um, you know, Bruce another one. I, I don't know what you saw or what's out there. I know he did a podcast with his tread guy, uh, Turner Gibbons. I think that's his name. Um, I talked to him and quoted him in a mailbag the other day. But anyway, like I think Brew's in a really interesting scenario situation where you know they're they're giving him a chance to to stay a star. And I don't think his work has been that bad, frankly. He made 28 starts last year, 469 ERA, struck out more than a batter per inning. Like the the, the, the stiff was really good. Like you know, legit numbers that show this guy can be a starting pitcher. Um, now the sinker slider is really good in profiles. Quite, quite good at the back end of a bullpen. but So basically what they did with Brew this offseason, started screwing around his curveball more. He's going to throw that. Um, tweaking 
his changeup a little bit more. And there's the possibility he comes out of this thing with four or five pitches. I mean, if that's his mix, he's a starter. Um, if that flops, if he starts getting hit hard, then middle of the year, yeah, maybe they think about moving him to a bullpen role where he's predominantly sinker slider. I don't, I don't think there's, you know, that probably wouldn't be a bad thing. It almost reminds me of Chad Cool a little bit, where he can pick up velocity and, you know, really just hammer a secondary spin pitch in there and throw strikes and be done with it. But, uh, you know, I not right away, and that's not going to help us in the first month of the season. That's why I think that it's just a it's a really funky thing. And, I mean, honestly, if, if you don't feel like you can get through with six, then you just have to kind of tell Oviedo to eat it, I think. I, or, or, you know, work him out of the bullpen. You commit to doing some sort of piggyback. I mean, maybe, maybe the Pirates could start doing something like, you know, somebody gets a shortened start uh, once through and then, like, they're paired with Oviedo. I'm not sure. Um, you know, that's a different – sort of innovative way to look at a five slash six man rotation. Um, and then you've got a guy like, okay, well maybe we don't have to shorten this start because, you know, Keller was garbage this time out and Oviedo had to cover four and a third, something like that, you know, it sort of works out. But um, yeah, it's, it's tough to plan for these things, right? I mean, just sort of put together some contingency plans and see how guys pitch. Yeah. And right now, I mean, everybody in some ways, like Chris and I here at at Bucks in the Basement, we have always said the bullpen is built last. And people for the past few years, and I'm not, I'm not saying you, Jason, but I'm just saying like people in general have like pushed the the bullpen, you know, as you know, this is what's doing really well. We have you know all these guys that do stuff, and I keep looking at the bullpen, and and it just kind of concerns me because I mean I love David Bednar. But he's ended up getting injured the past two years. I mean, Will Crow ended up getting, you know, completely worn out. Uh, everybody's saying, you know, Yerry De Los Santos, who had minimal innings, is going to come out and, and be this guy. Colin Holderman, who he traded for, who performed very well in New York, is going to come out. And, you know, he's going to be this guy. We got, you know, the elephant in Yarling Garcia. You know, it's there's all these... <laughs> different things that are that are gonna happen and to me it sounds like it still sounds like a lot of question marks oh it is i mean i don't think you're wrong i don't disagree with you but when i look at this the the solution isn't for anybody to be a superhero the solution is to have enough guys who are capable so the workload is shared um you know bednar doesn't need to be getting six outs in a game because they don't have a setup absolutely like, not if he, like that was fun to watch and we were all naive looking at it you know we all got swept up in like how how fun and powerful and oh look at david bednar dropping f-bombs on tv you know what in hindsight it was stupid it was stupid it wasn't it probably got him hurt and you know it just doesn't need to happen and you know will crow is a tough kid and i like his demeanor and he goes about his business the right way he doesn't need to pitch every game he shouldn't be pitching every game um you know, you throw Garcia in there, I like that. I think Holderman can be a really good reliever. Right there, that's three guys who should be able to bridge a gap to David Bednar. That's enough of a shared workload. And especially then, take it to the next step, look at what they have in, you know, guys earlier in the game. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm talking like Dwayne Underwood, Robert Stevenson. Just the last point I was going to make is, like, Underwood got overexposed last year when he's pitching the eighth inning. He's not an eighth, eighth inning guy. But if he's covering the, the fifth and sixth or maybe just the sixth, sixth and seventh, something like that to get to the back end guys, totally different conversation. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it's it's going to be fun to watch, but there, there's two more things i got to ask you here, man, before we uh, – before we run out of time here a little bit. And the first thing is, is how crucial is Cabrian Hayes' offense to how this team takes a step forward? And second part, I guess, would be how much is even possible out of Cabrian Hayes' offense? Okay. So the first the first part, I mean, I'm, I'm going, my answer would be something like this, not minor. Um, you know, you need the guy that you're paying that money to. And I mean, his defense is exemplary. It's not, not taking a shot at his defense, but like, you need something there. You need something out of that position because I mean, they could find a third baseman on the street who's not going to defend as well as Brian Hayes, obviously, but could potentially hit as well as him. Um, and the, the frustrating part for me and probably others, including Key Brian, is it, it's in there. It's absolutely in there. Um, it's just a matter of staying healthy. I like what he's done this off season. You know, he's bulked up. I'm sure you've talked about that plenty, but you know, we've all seen the videos, heard whispers about his work in the gym. And I mean, it's not like P. Ryan is ever going to slacker in the gym. Dude's busted his tail quite a bit his entire life, but, um, you can certainly see the results showing. And I, I hope what it is for him is some sustainability where, you know, he's had some strength in the past, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Some of that has been just poor luck, and I, I think it's probably fair to wonder, has some of that been training? I don't know. Uh, but I hope he stays healthy. He needs to stay healthy. I don't need to see him with an 800-plus OPS. I don't know if that's even realistic at this point. Um, give me 750. Give, him seven, give me 760. Uh, one thing that I think is, is sort of a key with him, always has been a key with him, how is he handling fastballs? If he's pulling them at all, if he's getting any lift on the ball whatsoever, I still remember, man, now that we're in spring training, like these images come flooding back about watching him hit at Lecon in 2021 after his debut month. Dude's just lining balls, man, driving balls to the gap, pull side. And, you know, then in the season, in the 2022 season, there are parts of it where he looks just like flat out feeble. I mean, he was clearly like, you know, not healthy, not 100%, but. Don't tell me that that dude that was driving balls to the gap in 2021 isn't still around. And I do think he can get back to that if he's healthy. Ridiculously talented player. And before we let you go here, Jason, we got to talk about another ridiculously talented player. And you're going to be talking to him before this probably even hits the airwaves. And that's going to be Brian Reynolds, man. Like, what is just your... I don't know if it would be like a last minute take on the situation or just your general feeling or what you've gathered from speaking to people as to what could go on with Brian Reynolds this season. Yeah, is Brian Reynolds going to talk to us in the, in the morning? <laughs> I don't do a good Brian Reynolds voice. I wish I did. Um, yeah, because I, I really like dealing with Reynolds. He's one of my favorites. He's a good dude and just it's funny. Um, got a good sense of humor. Anyway, uh, so I. My sense with what happens to him is still I do expect him to get traded. 
Um, I'd like to think in my pie-in-the-sky view that there's some pathway to an extension that they figure this thing out. I just don't, you know, in my heart of hearts, Greg, I don't, I don't see it happening. Um, I don't see the Pirates bending where they need to bend, and I don't see Reynolds bending where he needs to bend. And, you know, I think for right now it, it's probably in the Pirates' best interest to kick the can down the road. Um, I know there's a concern about, you know, looking like they're acquiescing to a player uh, and his demands, and, you know, somebody says they want to be traded, and we traded them. Um, the, the deals, frankly, have, you know, been a little underwhelming for them, too. Um, so I think that's part of it. But in the end, as much as I want to, you know, answer a question with my heart and say that I think they're going to come together on a deal, I just, I see this thing going until about midseason when some of his suitors get. Uh, a little bit more desperate. Maybe the Yankees need a left fielder. Maybe the Rangers need somebody. They're willing to give up some of that young pitching they have. But something else affects this situation, and the Pirates at that point become moved enough to trade Reynolds. Yeah, and I, I know, Jason, I think uh, I, I want you know you to get out there as well, is that I, I believe you said before, which is something that you know Chris and I have kind of stood by, is that you know this deal needed to happen a year ago two years ago, three yeah. years ago. And then if it didn't happen then, then it probably just became less likely. And we just really didn't want to think about it. The time to sign Brian was after the 2019 season in my mind. No, that would be impossible for the pirates because they've underwent wholesale regime changes and whatever. And like, I, I wouldn't expect Ben Sharon to come in here and sign a player. He's never met with the you know, largest contract in franchise history or something like that. But I mean, you know, to me, that's why they need to get in front of O'Neill Cruz right now and get that done. You know, that's when you're going to get the best price. You need to make, take some calculated gambles. O'Neill Cruz is worth it. Brian Reynolds would have been worth it. Um, you know, because then you come back in 2020 with Reynolds, and I don't think that makes sense. That wasn't a, you know, if I'm Reynolds, I'm not signing that deal. Coming off the, the worst year of his life, and I don't feel like my value is complete at that point. And, you know, by 2021, you're probably thinking like, Ah, the heck with it. You know, I'm already arbitration eligible. Like, <laughs> you know, we've gotten this far. There's no turning back now. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I just uh, – they waited too long. And I'd like to see them not wait as long with O'Neill Cruz. Yeah, well, Jason, you know what? You've given us a lot of great insight. And, you know, you're going to give us a lot more insight here coming up in, you know, the next few days here as people are listening to this. Um, if you guys don't, I'm pretty sure most of you guys probably already do. Please go follow Jason at jmackiepg. Uh, read the stories at PG Sports Now. And then also, him and the Ford have a, a little podcast idea coming out here. Mac and Mac. And I have obviously not listened to it or anything at this point, but damn, I'm excited.